correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm here with my friend. How's it going, Steve? Hey, what's happening? And we have a couple very special guests this week. Before we get into our guests and before we get into me and you and all the fun shenanigans... Let's talk about our podcast of the week. So the podcast of the week is Prime by Cortex. Yes. JT, JT and, and Kirby. The crew. Yeah. yeah. The, both of them. All of them. Something of like them. that. Yeah. They, they both sound the same. So I'm insistent that they are JT Lamino. But anyway. Well, uh, I mean, we did we, we did have Kirby on and kept confusing him. Yes. Well, the sad part is their voices actually sound similar enough that it's not hard to do. But uh, yeah. in any case, Prime by Cortex is a podcast all about Cortex Prime. No. Say that three times fast. But they do a bunch of interviews with assorted creators. They've done some actual play. They talk about the different things you can do with Cortex Prime, which there are a lot of. Yeah. Coming from somebody who has yet to play Cortex Prime, I really like Prime by Cortex. It's a really useful tool. Yeah. It's helped me learn a lot about that system. So definitely, definitely one to check out. Yep. Well, Steve, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guests to, Okay. I don't know what you want to say, guests to the podcast land. Yeah, something like that. Well, one of them is a returning guest, and the other one is by no means an unfamiliar voice. But today we're going to be talking about Big Stompy Robots in the Assorted Fun with Brett Bowen and GM Phil from Studio 404. Salutations, Gamer Nation. How is everybody out there? Thanks for having us. Yeah, you guys, well, long time ago. Phil reached out and said, hey, if you guys ever want to talk about mecha games, and uh, of course you guys have Mechasys out, and yep. I'm sure we'll talk about that quite a bit. You know, I bought it. Haven't read all of it yet because I don't read all of anything I ever buy. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, what's that like? <laughs> you just enjoy the mystery of it all. <laughs> well, it's one of those, I want to use this for something, I'm buying it, and frankly, I'm closer to using this for something than I am a lot of other things I've bought, so... I don't know what that means, but <laughs> I feel that I feel that seriously a lot. I really do. <laughs> so many things I am this used to do it using. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting you say that because uh, just this morning on Facebook, there was somebody talking about building a ship over time. That was like the place where the entire crew and game are in all the time. And they're traveling from place to place. Oh, yeah, I saw that. They want the ship to build over time too, like a character as opposed to just <laughs> like a piece of gear. And I'm like, um, have you looked at Mechasis and the build point system that it uses and how that's used to build up a quote-unquote vehicle, perhaps? Mm -hmm. Possibly. Maybe. Well, I think that's one of the cool things you guys did with that. Yeah. So where do we want to start with this? Because Mecha, does it really come from, what, probably anime is kind of where it kind of got its start with, like, Gundam and Robotech and such? Or? Uh, probably go back a little bit farther to Shogun Warriors. Okay. All the, the super robot 
shows that came out in the early to mid 70s uh stuff that came over here as a as a thing that was shown on a lot of the local syndication stations called force five had star avengers had guy king grandizer transor z uh, eventually it rolls into voltron yeah and then after the super robot craze finally uh Gundam comes out and it's a completely different take on the whole uh, aspect of it. It's not like some powerful robot fighting off monsters. It's basically World War II in space with giant mecha. Um, it is not clear defined who is good and who is bad because both sides are pretty crappy, but both sides also have good people on them. And then it just kind of goes from there. You know, then it goes into Robotech and then it goes into even a little bit Transformers and Battletech comes along and, and all these other various mecha games that have come down the pipe that want to emulate and and latch on to that nostalgia and, and the stories that those mecha games, uh, those mecha shows had. I think, too, it's just, I mean, who doesn't want to be a big stompy robot with a giant gun? Who doesn't want to drive a big stompy robot with a giant gun? I mean, like, you know, and the more guns, the better it is. Who doesn't want to drive a big stompy robot with a giant gun with your friends? <laughs> right. In an organized, you know, unit of soldiers of big stompy robots. <laughs> or all of you pilot the same big stompy robot. That's fun, too. It can be. Yeah. But then that gets into we're flying a ship. It just yeah. is on the ground. A little bit. A little bit. Somewhat. But like, OK, my you get my legs. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. That's the old way of thinking. The new way of thinking is I'm a leg. <laughs> i forgot about that oh so good that that new cartoon is just so good they even brought in the whole sven versus uh, shiro angle of the difference between the Jap japan version and the american version mm. so my first exposure to to mecha in, in rpgs was probably combination of robotech and rifts mm -hmm. which shared a system and i think at least in my head, also exemplifies the problem with a lot of mecha games in that, <laughs> look, for those who have never experienced Palladium, there is a rule for everything. There's hit point totals and armor totals and everything for everything individually, and you can't ever find the rules that tell you how they relate. Mm. Yes, for those of you who have never had to the pleasure of playing Palladium, God bless you. <laughs> you are so I lucky. mean, the worlds are amazing. The worlds are amazing. The rule set is mind-boggling. <laughs> well, I, I've said the only person who has ever played Palladium Rules is written is Kevin Simbita, because everyone else is still trying to find the book that that rule is written in. Seriously. There's also something about ignore all the previous books, grab the most the most recent book, because that's the most powerful one. Mm -hmm. Well, power creep. Oh, my God. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> but in that, most of, at least in, in my head, and I don't know if this is entirely the case, because the only other mecha game I've looked into any amount is Mechton Zeta. Yep. By their nature, and, and because of the era they came out, they were very much simulationist games. And so, as a simulation, you have rules and fiddly numbers and lots and lots of lines of numbers. And while it's simulation-y, and if we're playing a mecha miniatures game, that makes some sense. I don't want to do that anymore at an RPG table. <laughs> we understand each other yeah <laughs> so i mean where did you guys get into to mecca and and then go oh let's make mecca for genesis i guess well it all goes back to the tv shows that i mentioned i mean those came out um you know 
Channel 25 Boston up here at a very formative age, like nine, uh, when I was like five, six, seven, those shows started coming out. And then Transformers came out and then Robotech was out. And I was just freaking hooked. I especially latched on to Robotech something fierce. And when Palladium made the, the Robotech role-playing game, I actually remember picking up the Macross core rulebook for 10 bucks at a Star Trek convention up here. <laughs> That's where I first wow, got it. That's a steal, man. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Especially because, okay. All right. I'm going to pause you for a minute because I want to talk about that. When I was younger, we'll say, I sure. was obsessed with Macross. Obsessed. So I went on a mission. I'm like, there is a role-playing game of Macross. I went on a mission to find it. You know that book is ridiculous now, right? Like, to find it in physical is ridiculously expensive. I've got it right over there. <laughs> I hate you. I hate it's you. In a box. <laughs> like a couple hundred dollars. Like, ah. Uh. I take that back. I take that back. I think it was fifteen bucks because that's the cover price. <laughs> but I got it for the cover price, <sighs> and that's where it started. And admittedly, the Palladium system with the Robotech. This was like you could almost say that Robotech was the the test bed for the system that became Rifts. And it wasn't bad. The numbers weren't ridiculous. They were high, but they weren't ridiculous. And it was fun, but it was Palladium, so I, I kept an eye out for something different. <laughs> then Mike Pondsmith, the guy who created uh, Cyberpunk, he came out with a mecha, Japanimation-based game, Mechton. Uh, I missed out on the first one, uh, but Mechton 2 was the iteration that I found when I was in college, early early 90s. Uh, and it eventually became Mechton Zeta, and then came, came something Mechton else. Zeta Plus, I think, is the Zeta current. Zeta Plus, yeah, I think that was it. And each iteration gave it more and more complexity. Like you said, it gave it a lot more crunch because that was what the 90s were all about. They're all about the crunch, all the tactical play, and even into the 2000s a little bit. I mean, like the mecha creations, the mecha construction point system got it down to like the hundredths of a percent, uh, hundredths uh, uh, of, a, of a decimal in when you're like are building and tweaking to get your mecha within like 52 points or whatever the heck your build project was. Mm -hmm. But then it kind of went on from there and it, Faded into the background a little bit because no one was really doing Mecha really well. And I really also didn't have a bunch of folks who were more interested in that. I mean, like D&D third edition was just coming out and Star Wars role playing game had gotten obtained by Wizards of the Coast. So folks were diving into that. And, you know, immediately that's where I was kind of going to. But I always had Mecha in the back of my head. I always had had fun with it. I always liked doing it. We should also mention that when we met in college, Phil introduced me to Battletech, and we had a fairly regular game of that going on every once in a while. We did. I don't think any individual lasted particularly long, but it was always, those books are right there on the shelf. We it's could right just there. play some Battletech. They're right there. <laughs> just play some Battletech. We, we played it straight, man. So we'd have like these role-playing sessions, and the role-playing sessions would be fine, but then we'd bust out the maps, and there would go the next five hours. Yep. <laughs> Battletech. <laughs> and like eight on even and even a nice six on five p uh, inner sphere versus clanners five hour battle <laughs> <laughs> but we had fun we had a lot of fun yeah yeah well that's i mean i had a blast playing rips it was some of my formative rpg stuff absolutely but to look at that rule set now after having seen so much of what's come since mm. it's like oh, i i want to play the world but i don't want to deal with i remember hour and a half character creation when you knew where to look for stuff. I will say Savage Rifts is fun. I yeah. haven't, I haven't dived into it yet. Especially with the right GM, Savage Rifts is fun. Cool. And hasn't it been announced that the person who was in charge of Savage Rifts is going to be the inheritor from Symbiota? 
Yes. That's what I heard. Kevin Robertson or Sean Robertson. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He actually, he, he works officially because technically, at least as of last, I was aware, although he was the line lead for Savage Riffs, he was technically a freelancer with Pinnacle. Mm. And okay. he is at, in some capacity, a staff member at Palladium, in addition to still being the line lead for Savage Riffs now, if I'm not mistaken. Nice. Interesting. Nice. Well, good. <laughs> good, good, good. That sounds promising. Yes. So towards the end of 2019, 20, yeah, 2019, I'd always wanted to, well, even, even prior to that, once, once Genesis came out and once the initial buzz died down and we got Starkana out the door and I always started thinking like, okay, what can we do with this system? What, what have I always wanted to do? I have always had in the back of my head a desire to find some system that I can do Mecha in. Mecha has always been a massive favorite of mine. I did some Gundam model building younger, kind of got out of it for a bit, and I kind of fell back into it hardcore at the end of 2019. And the pandemic really only fueled that because what the hell else are you going to do? <laughs> um, but I'm like, I got Genesis. We got Genesis up and running, start kind of out the door. And then my brain shifted over to like, okay, how can you do Mecha? Because people had talked about doing Mecha and what you could do with Mecha and, and how you could make it work. And during a discussion I had with GM Chris, the idea came up of Mecha, have their, Mecha, Mecha having their own stat block in the sense of like they have brawn, agility, cunning, intellect, and all those. And there was a, like, this isn't like a round, kind of a roundtable discussion. I want to say it was at Gamer Nation Con, but I could be mistaken. Uh, and a bunch of folks like, oh, God, no, no, we don't do that. Don't, don't want that happen. That definitely planted a seed in my head because, you know, kind of, in, kind of the idea of where the Mecha construction system in Mechasys came from, it was very much based on the Mecha are characters, mm-hmm. especially in the super robot shows, but even in like a bunch of these Gundam series that are out there uh, in Pacific Rim. That's another great example that the mecha, the v- the vehicle, if it doesn't have a personality of it, its own, at least has a presence of its own. It's got this um, uh, uh, um, anthropomorphic. Is that the right word I'm looking for? Uh, I think. What's that? Gravitas. Yeah, gravitas. That's a better word. It's got this gravitas about it, where where you assign you assign a, a subconscious personality to it. You want to treat it because it is a humanoid shape in most cases. You you give it a personality. You give it a, a weight. You give it gravitas. So we wanted to incorporate that into the mecha design system. So we made the mecha construction system practically works uh, uh, mark for mark parallel with character design. And you build your mecha's strength. You build its presence. You build its agility, its powers. It's all of it's built the same way that you build your character. And that helps give it that connection between this mecha actually has, is that this mecha actually is a character. Well, I think that's, you know, you, you bring it up in, in specific with the mecha anime and, and so forth. But I mean, even like Dukes of Hazard. look, the General Lee was the star of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The Millennium <laughs> you know, Falcon is most certainly a, has a personality, right? You know, even on, a to, on many levels, actually. <laughs> some of the Fast and the Furious movies, the cars, the car. are characters in their own the right. Car. The car, <laughs> and that's been one of the things that, that with Genesis that, like, in core rules, vehicles are this thing, and they're all pretty much the same because it's a narrative system. Well, they are, but that doesn't help you tell a story where the vehicle is special. 
<laughs> yeah. And Mecca take that to kind of another level because, you know, you have like one of the, the more recent animes that I've watched that I really enjoyed was uh, Last Hope. Mm. I don't know if you guys have seen that. It's on Netflix. But there, you know, the Mecca are very individualized and so on. I'll have to check that out. I would say it's probably, what do you think, Steve? Is it fair to say that's kind of a spiritual successor to like Evangelion in a certain way? It's got that everything wants to be a spiritual successor to Evangelion. But yeah, no, I, I, uh, yeah, Last Hope's good or, or something that does that really well. I mean, does it have scenes where the characters just stare at each other silently for 20 No, it minutes? doesn't. No, it no it doesn't. And it's great. Okay, um, good. Good. I mean, I <laughs> I I love Evangelion, but yeah, I, I I understand why people are like that that show is slow. Yes, it is. Yeah, you're right. It's <laughs> very something! slow. It's also it's it's also in 10-year-old me watched that. But anyway, 90. <laughs> See, I'm just still wondering what the heck's up with the penguin. But anyway, it's it's a penguin. Just deal with it. That's the least <laughs> weird thing of that show. That is like that is the surface level weird that that show starts into. Huh? That's kind of quirky. Anyway, back to angels. Yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, the angels are destroying the earth. What? Uh, yeah, they're trying to bring about the apocalypse. Okay. Yeah, uh, footnote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As, as a footnote, this is Pangu. He lives here. Just deal with it. Um, no, and then you have stuff like, I mean, I could go on. I'm a huge mech anime fan. So like Garan Lagan, most of the Gundam series, uh, I'm actually more of a, I'm, I'm a weird Gundam fan in that I don't like a lot of the popular Gundam series, but like 8th MS Team is my favorite Gundam series. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... I'm Norris. the guy that's like Norris Packard, man. Yeah. I'm the guy that's like, I like the Gundam series where they're like tanks. <laughs> Iron Blood um, Orphan. I, I hate the characters. I hate them. I hate I every single that. one of the okay. characters. I can get there. I can get there. <laughs> I I've watched it and I'm like, okay, I get the gist of this and it's cool. I dig it, but I hate everybody. Uh, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't watched it in a few seconds. I am pissed that they fridged that girl. Oh, yeah. La laughter. I am yeah. so pissed they fridged laughter. There was no reason for that. No. No, she was... Uh, no, I'm not... We're not going to have a spoiler conversation. No, no, about no, no. It. But <laughs> there, There's a whole conversation I could have because I watched that series and I was like, this is this is both good and terrible all at the same time. I, I enjoyed it right up to that point. And at that point, yep. I'm just like, all right, now I'm just watching the rest of it because I'm committed. Yeah, yeah, I've wasted this much time at this point. I just want to get to the end. Although, I will say that the figures from that series are fantastic. They are some pretty, pretty mecha. Uh, Barbados? Oh, Barbados. My, my, my faves is uh, Rebay Full City. Okay, all right. Rebay Full City is my favorite. Yeah, I, I, but no, I, I, I don't even remember where I was going. But yeah, Max is great. Uh, the mech shows you did like and that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The mech shows I I, I like are the ones that I, I have to enjoy the characters. And I don't know, Gurren Lagan is my go-to mech show, even though it's sort of a deconstruction of the of the genre. Okay. That's actually it's, a great reason to like it. It it is sort of it is everything about mech tore down to its core and then rebuilt from the ground up. And it's a great ah, man, that show's just great. How crazy can we get? What's what? 
Well, how crazy can we take the ending to? Like, I think you know, what we've probably touched on is a large reason is why a lot of people look at Mechasis and say, is this really for anime? It's because far more anime is prevalent for mecha type stories than yeah. really anything else. The only thing that really sticks out in my head that isn't really anime style mechs is Battletech, where it's far more, this is just a vehicle that you're getting into and driving around. Pacific Rim kind of goes over that. They're not quite the agile arc or acrobatic giants that most like Gundams, for instance, are, and mm-hmm. Evangelion as Eva as well. Um, they're definitely a bit more big and stompy with with a, some pretty good maneuverability, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But they, yeah, that gets close. Pacific Rim Black felt more traditional mecha, what I've watched of that. Sure, sure. I'll go there. I'll get there. I'll get there, yeah. But to the point of, in anime, it is far more common for the mecha to have its own personality, its own quirkiness. its own like Often it's not just the fact that the pilot doesn't know how to pilot a mech yet. They are might be great pilots, but they have to get to know this particular mecha in order to work well with it, to create a symbiosis with it. And that's really the angle that we went for with mechas as in fact of the the ve- the vehicle is more than just a vehicle. It's a character in its own right. And therefore we emulated the character building aspect of it, of you have characteristics that you need to buy up. You have a hull trauma and st- a system strain threshold that you need to buy up and all sorts of upgrade quote-unquote, talents that you can use to improve things. Yes, indeed. We've struggled a bit with uh, falling into the trap that so many other games have done where it was in it was tempting to become even more crunchy and to nail down absolutely everything. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, we definitely we had, had to. We commonly had to step back and reevaluate and go, hmm, that's too far. <laughs> <laughs> Development of the mecha creation system took a full year. Mm-hmm. It took a full year of trying something out, not working, trying another thing, not working, trying a third thing. Okay, this could work. Let's actually get it on the table. Okay, that didn't work. All right, let's go back. And like two massive rewrites. Two very massive rewrites. Two very um, massive rewrites. And one of those was after some decent playtesting. And then after the rewrite happened, we did even more playtesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I want to say at least three months of playtesting total. And as far as the rules that are actually in the Mechasis book, because we've got two books right now. We've got the Mechasis core rulebook and Big Guns and Blazing Swords, where we kind of took the idea of... Well, let me let me explain for Mechasis, the core book. Keith Cappell gave us some great feedback and great advice. He, he tested it. He's like, you know, Phil, this is great. This is awesome. But if I were running this, I would want to be able to just choose a chassis slap some weapons on it, and go. You can't really do that right now. You've got a lot of fiddly bits in here, and I think they're too much for just your average person like me who who just wants to throw some guns on some, some mecha and, have, and just send them out. I'm like, okay, all right, that's cool. So we refined the weapon systems on the core book to just basically like make sure that we had a dozen to 20 different guns, knives, swords, beam cannons, missile launchers, whatever. I think it's like 40 weapons or 45 weapons or something like that in the core book. Actually, I think there's like 60, but you get what I'm saying. Right. We boiled it down to what are the essential proxies for most of the weapons out there? Listed them out and then sent them forth. And then like as we were releasing Mechasis, we were already, we were actually, we had already been working on what eventually would become Big Guns and Blazing Swords because that was the weapon creation system that we were then testing at the tail end of the Mechasis testing. And so that's why you know we released Mechasis in April, 
Big Guns and Blazing Swords was only a couple months later. Mm-hmm. Well, I think though that that fits, and and this is something that I think maybe some people may have a, a slight misconception with Mechasis. Mechasis is not at all a setting book. It is purely mechanics. It is, so to speak, just a add-on to the core rule book for you to take and make your own stuff with. Correct. Totally. If anything, it is a really, really big and detailed tone. <laughs> In a way. But I think like Mecha is like I think for me, it's like the Mecha are a character in their own right. You know, much like you said that was one of your design goals. And then you have different things you can do around them. You know what I mean? It's it's your mecha are like they're part of your vehicle for telling the story and they're essential. I, I have a thought and it's stuck somewhere. <laughs> like, I understand. Um, what I might be reading your mind from across several states is that another big important thing that we put into Mechasis is a how to do a session zero for using Mechasis. Is okay, first off, you understand, have to understand or define what Mecha are doing in your setting in the first place. What role do they serve? Why are people using them? Yeah. Also, what's the standard Mecha size going to be? Is the standard size Silhouette 2? Is it Silhouette 4? Is it Silhouette, oh my God? <laughs> <laughs> and once you establish these, ba- uh, should they fly as a regular thing? Are they going to be out in space or are they going to be planet bound? You know, all these various things define the standard and then you build from there. Right, and you get, right. And you have various modifiers. I think that's some of where I was going, yeah. Mechasis very much hinges on a dedicated session zero. You need that session zero to, to really appreciate and to give your, your players the framework with which to build their mecha. Well, right, right. Because that's, yeah. I think a session zero is, is pretty much vitally important for any campaign, but specifically sure. with mecha because it's such a broad... You know, it's like saying my next RPG campaign is going to be a military campaign. Okay, that tells me absolutely nothing. Are we doing Save It Private Ryan or Starship Troopers? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> are we doing Stripes? <laughs> well, it tells me there's a command, you know, a command structure, and that's we're going to be dealing with it. So most likely, it's going to be you know we're taking orders from somebody, and then we're going to go shoot somebody. <laughs> right, but in in that vein, you could also do that as you know, are you playing a campaign of a stranded unit that's cut off from everything and trying to find its way home. Sure. See, I wouldn't call that a military campaign, personally. That's a more like a team survival campaign. Fair, but if, if <laughs> in the context of, say, um, uh, Twilight 2000 or something like that, is it is very still, it's got very military underpinnings to it. Mm. You know, or yeah. if you were to play, say, an Eberron campaign where you're playing this Siren squad that somehow was not in Seer when the morning happened, and now you're yeah. this unit that no longer has a country to belong to. You I, know what I, I mean? ran that campaign, actually. That was my fourth edition campaign. <laughs> you? how did you steal my idea that you didn't know I had? <laughs> you, and decades ago. <laughs> <laughs> Before decades I had it. <laughs> but, but yeah, so like Mecca, like you said, you've got to have... And I think that's the thing that, that you did with, with how you guys built Mechasis is that you can take it and tell the story you want to where, and I don't know a ton about Battletech other than it seems like it is a very militaristic tactical simulation game where it's set in this war of Mecha. Yep, absolutely. And I mean, 
look, we're gamers. We can take things apart and make them do other things. We always do. But Mechasis is already taken apart for you. You just have to put it together the way you want it. Exactly. <laughs> do you want giant eldritch knights that are able to fight dragons toe-to-toe a la Escaflone? Do you want a steampunky-looking mecha that looks like the Iron Giant? Do you want Gundams? Do you want Battletech? Do you want Pacific Rim? What do you want out of the robot? What do you want out of the mecha? We did our best to make Mechasis able to handle whatever it is you want to throw at it. Well, what I've gotten to read of it so far, I'm I'm very impressed because I like the fact that, like you said, you've gone and you've made chassis, but in doing that, and, and you may even have rules there for, okay, you want to design your own chassis because your game has got this, you know, whatever. Okay, but even so, I've got a pattern I can look at and go, I can deconstruct this, this little tiny segment of it, and then build my own thing over here and still use all the add-on rules. Yeah, chassis mm-hmm. really are just a different kind of like archetype or species rules. So if you've got any proficiency or, or knack or even just basic understanding of how to build a species or how to build an archetype, you could build a chassis. If you see something, if you don't, can't find a chassis that fits exactly what you're envisioning, you could absolutely do that. One of our chassis was even developed by one of the playtesters, uh, Jason Marker. Mm-hmm. He wanted to build a support mech, and none of the chassis really reflected that. I'm like, dude, that's brilliant. It's like, yeah, I could see it doing this and this and another. You know, and and Jason's been making vehicles for the Star Wars role playing game since FFG got it. So, you know, if I figure if there's a guy who's going to be able to come up with some decent rules for an archetype, he's in that crowd. <laughs> uh, so he actually created uh, the 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 support chassis and you know all that was his input and absolutely threw it in there mm-hmm. so yeah it, it, but that shows you that if there is something that you the game needs you can you can modify and make it just keep the idea of you know the the balance of like if you're going to give it this make sure you take away something or give it a cost reduce its starting build points construction points all that stuff now or you're on that the starting build points construction points i don't see where let's just say you wanted to play in a, a situation where all your mecha were very advanced. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't see how it causes a problem if you just say, okay, this is your base mecha frame. And so it's 50 points higher than a base mecha frame supposed to be. As long as we all start with the same base one, it doesn't matter. Well, that's why we got the frame pool at the very beginning. It's like step one, you decide how advanced the mecha are going to be. Uh, are they kind of basic where you start with 50 points, basically 50 XP? Uh, are they advanced where you start with 100 XP, which you could kind of think are along the same lines of, of just like your basic average starting characters? And then you've got the supreme pools where you start with 150 points. So that's almost like that superhero tier. Like you're slapping on that, that, that superhero tone to this game and you're like, here, here's an extra 50 points. But then on top of that, that allows you to buy out each of the, the chassis and like, yeah, if you've got the 100 points, you know that, okay, I'm basically building a character. So I can expect maybe I can get a four in there, at the very least a bunch of threes, and probably not have to worry about a one unless I really want that four or maybe even a five. Whereas if you've only got 50 points, you can kind of see it's like, okay, these are really going to be grunt mass-produced suits, and they're not going to be able to do a lot of things really good. They might be able to do one or two things really well, mm-hmm. but that's it. Everything else is just going to be like whatever I get. Much more emphasis on the pilot as opposed to the mecha. Right. How good can the pilot maneuver and manipulate this bare bones average mech? Now, one thing that that I will ask about, 
do you guys have anything either in Mechasis or, or in the works or anything about like, because obviously when you're mechs versus mechs is easy to do out of this, but let's say you're doing mecha versus Kaiju, which is a classic thing. Do you guys have anything <laughs> that you're working on with <laughs> big, bad monsters? At its raw base, you boil it down, put it in that crucible. All Kaiju are, are biological mech. Mm-hmm. You build a mecha, you say that its beam weapon that's mounted in its head is actually its atomic breath. Its energy claws that are on it, its beam sabers are actually just like energy and impo- radioactive powered claws. And you can absolutely, all you just like, just like the, the glory and essence that is Genesis, you just skin it differently. Mm-hmm. So you can absolutely just take your average mecha, build it up with these points if you really want to follow the points. I mean, a GM can a GM. You can just, GMs can come up with whatever, whatever they want, but they can take literally any mecha that they can think of, just make it biological, there's your kaiju. Damn it. <laughs> that was entirely too simple of an answer. <laughs> <laughs> now, Steve, remember, yeah, we're we talking absolute, about Genesis. I mean, well, we're no, talking I about have... Genesis, and like Phil said, you want to go fighting dragons in these mecha? Okay. Have at. And uh, what's the difference between a dragon and a, me- and a kaiju? A couple of silhouettes. Mm, maybe. Exactly. Depends on your kaiju. Depends on your <laughs> kaiju and your dragon. Yeah, some, some kaiju are like silhouette five. Like Godzilla's probably silhouette six, I think. I think he's about Levia- to... Ancient Leviathan dragons are probably similar. Yeah, most dragons in... I think the Terranoth dragons are like four or five at tops, but Godzilla, Godzilla and Kong could stand on an aircraft carrier and an aircraft carrier is like silhouette six, I think. Mm-hmm. So they're probably like silhouette five, six, something like that. All right. So one more, uh, more technical question then. And, and I know Phil with your palladium riffs background, you'll know where I'm going with this. What about damage scale? Because obviously <laughs> if your, your, your mech has a strength three, well, your Bob the Adventurer with Strength 4 is not going to win an arm wrestling contest with this mecha, no matter how good he rolls. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. So that, that kind of like opposed challenge where you've got the character with a certain strength bronze score and you got the mecha with even a lower bronze score, you are still talking about the fact that it is a vehicle. So at that point, you kind of have to, if you're a game master, you kind of have to look at that going, okay, can a... Arnold Schwarzenegger or the mountain type character uh, guy who had like a brawn of five or even arguably six, could they overpower a mecha with even a brawn of one? Maybe a brawn of one, it's possible, but you know, you're, you are talking about a difference of scale, like a silhouette one character can that really overpower a silhouette three or silhouette four mecha if you're not also including like a superheroic trope in there. Right. So there is a certain level of the game master just kind of has to look at things and make an adjudication of, okay, is this an impossible task? And thus, no matter how much you're going to try it, you can't do it. I don't care what your brawn and your resilience are. You're not breathing liquid. You're not breathing hydrochloric acid. (laughs) It is an impossible task. But when do things become easier? When do things become harder? That's why it's a whole lot of like the game master needs to make some decisions of like, okay, it's still what five character trying to rip open a steel fire door. That could be a daunting task, but a mecha with a brawn of one trying to do that same thing, that might be an easy or an average task. Mm-hmm. So that stuff like, like that, stuff like that, it does require the GM to kind of do some scaling on the fly in that regards. As far as damage goes, let's face it. If you're hit by a car, it's going to hurt. So if like 
a tactical strider, like you taking a mecha from the expanded rulebook, if a tactical strider steps on you, you're in for some pain. <laughs> Even if I would give like the tactical strider, like a brawn of one or brawn of two, that's still 10 to 20 points of damage. It's going to hurt. Yeah. yeah. If you're if you're still counting your damage absorption as soak, you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess Genesis does use the the ten to one rule for vehicles. So, and I don't see why you couldn't expand it somehow, maybe via silhouettes. To you know, this much silhouette difference is ten to one. You know, and if you double that, like the the old, I remember from the the Weg D six Star Wars days where you had personal scale, like Starfighter scale. Your scale, capital scale, capital, Death Star. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, yeah. But you know what I mean? Like you, you had that, that, and if I remember right, those were steps of 10. Yeah. But it's been a long time since I played WIG. But basically the, the planetary scale and uh, personal scale of Genesis works very well and falls under a not broken, don't fix it terminology. Pretty much. (laughs) Or mentality. Suffice to say that I would say that if like, if you built a silhouette four mecha with a brawn of one and had it punch a guy at character scale and it connected, I would probably at the very least add the silhouette size to the damage before <laughs> applying, you know, okay, add four vehicle scale damage. I'm sorry, you are paced. <laughs> well, even then it's a base of two damage. One for the success, one for the base, one brawn. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that goes with the spirit of the game though, right? You're emulating, you're not, trying to simulate and crunch hard numbers precisely you know you just got stomped on by a crane yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. well and and by the time you've gotten to this point you've realized you've made a mistake (laughs) (laughs) about the time that you're having the conversation of okay how much damage does the robot punch deal you've realized you've made a mistake (laughs) what is this rapidly approaching shadow (laughs) right Right. Will it be my friend? The answer is no. <laughs> so since we're at a little bit of a lull, I do have one listener question for you guys. Oh, hey. And this comes from Brett. You remember Jesse? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, this is one of our, just, just to shout this out here, this is one of our Patreon tiers is that at our $5 tier, you do get to ask questions to our guests when we do have them on. And uh, this is, as Steve said, one of our listeners that is part of that $5 tier. So definitely something to. This is cool. I haven't heard of you doing this yet. Yeah. So Jesse's question, and it's a two part question, but I'll let you both answer the first part before I hit you with the second part. So he crafty wants to know what's your favorite big stompy mecha are. Uh, sure. Mine, mine is easy because I'm a Voltron Lions fan, flat out. Just, I loved it when I was a kid. I loved the reboot. Just pretty much everything about it just struck me a sweet spot. That being said, I also do, I did really enjoy Battletech, but nothing quite like the a bunch of lions coming together and forming Blazing Sword. Fair. Respect. Respect. Um, my, my appreciation of the mecha genre, as one might assume, is rather large. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to pick a current favorite, something that just really appeals to me on on multiple levels, um, I would have to say the the zero one and the zero two unicorn Gundams. Um, more particularly leaning towards the Banshee, but I really do like the the just the straight up unicorn as well. Every now and then, over the past couple years, I found myself either renewing a Netflix or once I got kind of like the realization of, oh, hey, wait, my partner has a Netflix account that she keeps 
ongoing. I'll just borrow her password. Um, actually, no, Netflix, I don't borrow password. Actually, it doesn't matter. <laughs> We're a household now. Eat it. Um, <laughs> sorry, tangent. Um, <laughs> but every now and then I just find myself just throwing on the seven episodes of, of Unicorn and just enjoying it. I've got a bunch of Unicorn Gundams. I have, for those of you who know what this phrase means, I have a perfect grade Banshee that I am waiting for my skill set to reach the point to do everything I want to be able to do with that kit. Um, so I would have to say the the unicorn banshee is my top favorite with the unicorn as an adjacent like sister. Just build it and then weather it later. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's the best way to do it because you'll kill yourself. You'll sit there and stare at the box. Just build it and weather it later. Because... Honestly, my problem since I got it in April of 2020 has been I haven't had a place to build it. My partner moved in to our current apartment at the end of 2020. And I kind of had space before that, but once she moved in and we just didn't have the space to devote to it, bought a house recently. As soon as I get my house set up, the Banshee's coming out of the box. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, coming from one person that's built one of those to another, yeah. just just build it and then weather it later. Because I know exactly what it's like to look at it and go, oh, I got all these things I want to do. I want to make it look like this. No, just uh, just the general perfect grade or the perfect grade unicorn? Um, the oh, I can't remember. The box is in the other room. I think it's the perfect. I think it's just the general perfect grade. Okay, but cool. I know the perfect grade unicorn is is not too like it's crazy, but it's not too far off from. It's just a, just a really big, really big kit. Just a lot. Uh, of yeah. Um, I maintain that Phil was just scared of the cat that he's taking, <laughs> having its way with the mecha in mid. Si, si would Sai would never have gone near it. Sai would have been like, <laughs> "What's that? That's weird." <laughs> <laughs> so, so the second half of this question, and and having experienced Jesse once yourself, Brett, you can appreciate mm. this. Why is it Mega XLR? <laughs> Chicks dig giant robots. Uh, uh, yes, the the monster truck trucker of giant robot anime. Look, anime. I I stand by. I know you haven't. I I I don't know how you can watch it yet, Steve. I'll have to find a way for you to do that. You would love Mega XLR. It you is probably would. It, oh, it is you, my dude. Like <laughs> it, it is very much. Like, if you were the main protagonist and built a mech, the concept of Megas is that he built a mech out of his car in his garage. Okay, I'm with you here. And it, it is... And flame paint jobs. Yeah, it's it's all the eight balls and flaming eyes and... Massive chrome grill. Yeah, like, it is... Yeah, it's <laughs> it is... It's you if you built a giant robot, Steve, I'm telling you. Because it is, like... <laughs> Does it have a car for a head? Yes, it does. Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's his car. <laughs> it's such a great show that just got canceled out of nowhere. It was just one of those ones that didn't do well. And it just. There is absolutely no reason you couldn't go out there and stop and, and create a Megas XLR demolition derby role playing game. No. Campaign. Do it out of Mechasis and have fun. Absolutely. No reason you can't. Yeah, there is one has, reason. I got too many things it going on. It has mud flaps. It does, it, yeah. It has, it has naked woman mud flaps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what part of every cliche car thing have you not figured? Like, 
Because I've never heard of this show before, so I have no answer for the for the listener question. <laughs> I'm just catching up, and you get to come along for the ride. I hadn't heard of it either. So <laughs> it's definitely if you haven't watched it, it's a it's a definite. At least check out the first episode. Is the first it's episode gives you everything you need, and then after that, you don't have to watch the whole series, but you understand. <laughs> Okay. Well, I recently discovered there's a whole bunch of anime hidden in various places on the streaming services that I do have access to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I may start digging around some more. There you go. Oh, but yeah. yeah. Vegas XLR is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, that was, that was, that was fun. And like I said, it, it, it felt like that was a good way to break that one apart. <laughs> yeah. Probably safer that way. <laughs> so I, I got to tell you, the, one other thing I want to ask the art on page 42 42 it, oh yes was that a custom piece you guys had done <laughs> no okay <laughs> <laughs> okay this is actually a this is a funny story because of copyrights being what they are i have had to go into certain places of the web that is the best not to name or know about in general but you have to go to in order to defend your copyright and your product. Therein, I found a commenter calling me out, essentially, on the fact of, oh, how'd they get Stars Without Number artwork? I bet they didn't. They just stole that. They didn't get the rights for that. Well, true fact, you can get the Stars Without Number art pack on DriveThruRPG for nothing, and you therefore get the license to use the artwork, and it was super beneficial for both Starkana as well as Mechasis and this particular panel. Okay, because that's it's reminiscent of some art I've seen in other games, and it starts well, well. There's a reason for that. <laughs> the The funny part was about a year after Starcana came out, the art pack made its way around again, became popular again. People like noticed it for the first time, and people actually came up to me and said, "Dude, you should totally use this in a Starcana supplement." I'm like, why we use it in the core book? <laughs> <laughs> like this would be great for Sarkana. Yes, it was. Totally was. <laughs> Thank totally you. Was. That's got to be a challenge for for you guys, though. As a, as a small publishing house, though, is is art, and especially if you're doing things that you know, Mecca in particular. There's so mm-hmm. many iconic, you know, and it, and it is all pretty much art based. It's not you know print fiction for the most part in 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 terms of words and. Let's be honest, even if you're able to to pull on publish a whole game, the RPG industry is is not one where you're going to make a ton of money, much less if you're restricted as you are with the Genesis licenses to web-only publishing and et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that had to be challenging to go, how do we make this book and have, you know, and, and the artwork you have is very nice, and I'm not trying to sit to mean that at all, just was that ever a, a concern as to can we make this book look the way we want it to with our budget? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no question. Uh, we do have a lot of great uh, original artwork. A lot of that was done by Phil or we got we actually went on to a Facebook group of mine that is for D&D artwork. There's lots of great artists on there. And we put up a call for artists that were available for commission and within three hours, we had about a hundred people with offers and links and portfolios and stuff like that. And within a day or two, Phil had narrowed it down to the styles they wanted to and started uh, writing up contracts and such like that. And then over the next month or two, we had the art rolling in and we were just ecstatic. 
uh, with what we came out with. But yes, to answer your point, artwork is definitely the largest expense that we have as part of the production. Yes. Because of the fact that we we want it to look good up front. We know that art sells books. We know that covers sell books. And I've heard of a theory of a, a idea of you can take your earnings from drive RPG, turn around, buy stock art on drive RPG, and then add it to the book later. I'm like, yes, you can, but then you're asking your buyers to go back and download the book again to get the pretty artwork. Yeah, that's... It's a thought. I mean, updates and revisions are one thing, but... Yeah, to, to just go art to be added later is a little bit asking. I also can't fault folks who have to do that. If you've got a neat idea and you want to get out on uh, drive-thru RPG and you just don't have the ability to give it the art that you feel it deserves and you know you get it out there, it makes some money for you and you come in and they're like, you know what? I really want to get a good cover piece on this. You know what? I really want to get a good art piece on this. I want to buy this art pack now that I've, now that I've seen it. Now, and, and that's the other thing. Like It could be that like, oh my gosh, I didn't know this art pack was out here that it existed. Yeah. I can't. And I won't fault people for that. We are very lucky to be in the situation that we are in where we had the ability for both this and Starkana and ADC and, and all these other projects that we've had to say like, okay, we really need something custom for this. Mm-hmm. Let's put it in the budget. And let's understand that, you know, it's going to be X number of copies before we really start making a profit off the book or actually start mm-hmm. like covering the cost it took to make the book. And that's the that's the investment gamble. It's the investment gamble. But fortunately, Mechasis has, <laughs> has done rather well. Yep. And that's the other benefit is that the artwork from Mechasis also goes into the supplement. And therefore, there's now two sources of income from the same artwork purchase. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of, the, one of the pieces that I wanted, there was a um, Lance uh, Burgos who did mm-hmm. the, I, I call it the Genesis looking Mecha. That it's on the cover of Big Guns Blazing Swords. Um, it's that part that piece that looks like it was done in the style of all the artwork from the Genesis Core rulebook. That kind of gr- uh, orange and blue and, and pencil line, unfinished plan artwork. And um, I, I wanted that piece in there, in in there, in the uh, in the core book, Mechasis. And I'm like, oh, this is a good piece. I I, I want to use this as the cover for for Big Guns Blazing Swords. And mm-hmm. so we did. So yep. Yeah, I just added the blue background uh, with the gears, uh, and therefore it was a cover. Yeah. Well, before we get into anything else, anything more you guys want to say on Mechasis specifically? Um. Well, I can say that I have designs for three other supplements that are like of big guns, blazing sword size, or even smaller, because they're just like they're just little add-on type stuff. The next thing that I was working on was power armor silhouette one mecha. Although that kind of could expand up to Silhouette 2. Silhouette 2 Mecha could kind of bridge the gap there. That was kind of an ad- what the rules I have going on for that are sort of an adaptation for my Power Armor rules that I did for the my Fallout uh, uh, Genesis setting way back in the day. <laughs> so I've got some ideas and designs on that. The other supplements I've got are, of course, the one thing that's the, the glaring omission from the rule set. Where's my combiners? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have ideas and designs on how to do combiner mecha. And I've also got ideas, a third supplement of how to do transformers. And that's sort of what started it all in the first place, right? You had a, you were beginning to hack together a transformers setting or a transformers hack out of Genesis or something. Yeah. Figuring out how to do it, Mm -hmm. how to do it. Yeah. Transformers actually is a little 
easier because you just kind of omit the fact that there's a pilot. It's not so like the, the Transformers expansion might be the smallest one. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, actually, no, that's probably not true because I probably I probably want to come out with a whole bunch of like new upgrades, upgrades, yeah, tons of upgrades, or at least like say, okay, don't buy upgrades, use talents, you know, and like inspire like what talents should be shifted and whatnot, you know, some rules for that. But so those those are the those are the three supplements that I've got. When will they happen? I don't know. Um, yeah, but you know, we're working hardcore on our current project as the company, and once that's done and out the door, we'll see what happens after that. That's fair. I did was going to say I do like the way that you did the the upgrades for the mecha effectively just reskinning talents because it works so well and like it just fit. Yeah. It just <laughs> fit. You know, how do you tweak them? How do you tweak it? Do you spend money? Yeah, you could spend money, but you know, like if you're building these as characters, build them as characters. Yeah, we had an idea mainly for the a BattleTech style game where you have a money to build point ratio established in order to buy upgrades with actual money yeah but then there's narrative i mean you you kind of sit back and go yes we can do it that way but with the narrative basis of genesis it just made more sense to say like okay as you as your character gains xp your mecha gains xp too and maybe your game master says okay at these unlike unlike characters who can generally spend their xp willy-nilly whenever unless the game master says hey this is kind of a continuation don't spend your character points yet the GM can really say, okay, these upgrades, depending on what you want to do for your mecha, you can make small upgrades here and there. But anything you want to make, like if you want to give it a new weapon, you want to give it new maneuverability ratings, you want to up its up up some of the larger upgrade talents, basically. Yeah, those are going to be saved. You're going to need to like a specific time and like, you know, you, either your mecha gets an upgrade pack or you get the Mark II version of your mecha delivered by whoever or whatnot you know, some time to really do these massive upgrades. So yeah, makes sense. All right. So all that said, do you two want to take a few minutes or whatever to also talk about just studio 404 in general? I know we have a lot of listeners that probably already know who you are, but we probably also have a few that don't. (laughs) Absolutely. So yeah, I know it's more than just the two of you, but I'm not entirely sure as to how many players and, and what all you're all into. We are a company of four right now, uh, myself, Brett, Brett's wife, Kimber, and our friend, Alex Newbold. We were one of the first companies to get in on populating the the foundry on DriveThruRPG. And we've put out a few products. We've put out Starkana, uh, which is our space opera, fantasy space opera campaign setting. A couple supplements for that, uh, an adventure and a follow-up magical supplement, because uh, it is space opera with magic. Think of it as like Twilight Imperium, if you also threw in magic as well. It's kind of the the niche it filled. Brett has also been very prolific with a lot of what we call toolbox products, uh, legwork and larceny, uh, the GM's toolkit. I know I'm forgetting a bunch of others. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, the setting notebook, right? Setting that, that's um, yeah, setting notebook, yeah. But obviously, we put out Megasus, we put out uh, Big Guns, Blazing Swords, and uh, Brett. Have you talked about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, because we're, we're advertising it on our on our on our Facebook feeds. Right. Our next uh, campaign setting is Anarchy in Dragon City. What's uh, what's our tagline for that? It's a cyberpunk urban fantasy setting. Mm-hmm. Um, be, uh, be as punk as possible a... by by sticking it to the man or something like that. Right. Um, Mega cities keep people safe from a raging global magical storm while also trapping them inside a draconic dystopia. Magic and cybernetics augment players beyond normal people for a price. You're a lancers sticking it to the drakes one job at a time. Well, 
by the time this airs, it will be post you debuting the adventure at Gamer Nation Con. So yep. right. But fortunately, that module was run through a couple of decent play testers. So uh, <laughs> the people at Gamer Nation Con don't get to see the rough edges. <laughs> we sanded those suckers down. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was that was a lot of fun. I don't know if Brett had told you, Phil, but Steve and I and a couple of friends got to help him play test that once. And yep. we had a good time. Oh, yes. More importantly, I told him what I learned from the exposure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Lots of things. Uh. He came the next, the next, uh, we have meetings like every two weeks and the next meeting he came back and said, okay, so <laughs> some things are changing. Well, I'm excited to see what that looks like. Yeah. So I'm glad we could be helpful. <laughs> yeah. We, we super value our play testers. I'm still tickled about the whole, so let me get this straight. Your plan is you're going to drive by grab the person, pull them into the van and keep punching them until and yelling, go to sleep, go to sleep. That's your plan. <laughs> Enter Jesse is all I'm going to say. It was Jesse. No, that wasn't Jesse. Jesse, that was what actually plan. happened. That was... no, Jesse saved the plan. <laughs> yes. Jesse saved the day on that one. Yep. I was all for the drive-by kidnapping. Yeah. Yeah. No, young Steve was going to be the go to sleep, go to sleep guy. Go, go <laughs> to sleep. <laughs> go, just, just go. I mean, that's all planned. It is. That's what I said. There was no judgment in my tone. Just clarifying, this is your plan. There was no judgment. There was a lot of people that said no. <laughs> there was a dawning realization from the rest of the PC base, but I had no judgment. <laughs> hey, sometimes nobody was coming up with anything. I had to put something out into the ethos. That's that's fair. Yeah. And some sometimes hearing a plan is better than just coming up with it on the fly. <laughs> yeah. I I thought it was a brilliant idea. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> What could possibly go wrong? Well, hindsight's twenty twenty, you know. But... <laughs> oh. I was definitely not thinking about, so you're in the back of your van, uh -huh. and this attack has the blast quality. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. no, uh-uh. Uh <laughs> Singer a lullaby with my fists. <laughs> so ADC is really kind of the brainchild of Brett and Kimber, and they've they've done a really good job. I really enjoy how this is shaping out, and I think it's going to first of all, just as a unique as a setting, it's it's interesting, it's intriguing. There's a lot to do, there's a lot to play there. Um, especially if you're a fan of the cyberpunk genre and and the fantasy genre and the and where the Venn diagram overlaps. You should enjoy it, but also just like seeing what's coming out of it, the, the creativity and the uniqueness of the setting. You think you know what you're getting, but then you as as you scratch deeper uh, at the surface and you see how deep the, the the story and what's going on in the world goes. It's re it really impressed me. It really did. So I, I'm enjoying seeing where this goes and I can't wait for folks to get it in their hands and slap it down on the table and let us know how it goes. Well, I think the thing that Steve and I, we talked about this since, the thing that we both like about it is that it feels like it has the appropriate amount of grit for a cyberpunk mm. setting, where Shadow of the Beanstalk is a really, really, really cool sci-fi setting, but it's too sleek to be cyberpunk. Mm. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's, yeah, 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 I've yeah. Compared it, it's, it's like the difference between this rip-snorting, garage-built hot rod and a Ferrari. 
there are definitely aspects of Shadow of the Beanstalk that are, it's certainly dystopia, but it's not, in, in some cases, depending on how you play it, it's not punk. Yeah, it, yes. like I said, I'm not sometimes saying... it's like looking at the artwork, it's hard to see the dystopia. Honestly, yes. you, you see all the gleam and glamour and the, the super tech and stuff like that. So I get what you're saying without knowing the setting terribly well. In the artwork, especially, I wish they would have thrown some background dystopia. You know what I mean? Like have have smiling faces, but there's a guy getting arrested on the street. And, you know, maybe, <laughs> you maybe know what I mean? Like. I can't help but wonder if one of the reasons why it just doesn't look dystopian and gritty enough to us is that it looks kind of familiar. <laughs> and well, maybe, maybe we've just gotten used to it. Yeah, but like it, some of it is, it's very much in the overarching Genesis FFG edge art style. Mm. Yeah, that's another problem is it kind of has that every, not being rude to Genesis, but everything. In, like aside from what you guys put out, a lot of Genesis stuff looks the same. Sure. Like you look at the books and you're like, this is, mm. I, I can tell immediately this is a Genesis book. Like you could blindfold me, open a random page and I'd look at it and go, this is Genesis. Mm. Uh-huh. That's actually a very good point about when we put out Starkana is that while I took the template of Genesis to work from, because I was really still, this was going to be my second book to work in InDesign. I took the template as a baseline, but then changed pretty much everything about it. Yeah. So like it it matches in the general notes and headings and what things mean, but I changed the colors, I changed the fonts, I changed the background and stuff like that to make sure that Starkana looked different than everything else on Gen. I I think that's good. You know, it, yeah, that's... It's because the the artwork, not just the artwork, but the layout and everything in a book can so much affect the tone. Mm-hmm. You know, to me the 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 book that that just so to speak nailed it for me is the cyberpunk 2020 core book mm-hmm. everything in that book screams what they wanted to get across to you in that setting oh yeah absolutely and especially for late 80s publishing it feels <laughs> like a zine you would pick up off the like it feels like a zine you would find in college mm-hmm. like most of that book has that feeling and so it does sort of feel very punk very punk rock and yeah. and that's like i think that's what's kind of as somebody who's read and played and and played with Android, I don't know. Uh, Shadow of the Beanstalk, I mean. I just, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I really don't. There's things I would do differently, but I understand where people's taste come in and why that's something that, oh, well, I really like how this is. Okay, that's cool. I understand where you're coming from. But for me, it doesn't have, like, cyberpunk to me is like Blade Runner it's Uh it's but it's not just blade runner it's like ghost give me some yeah ghost in the shell or or like actually that might be a closer analog to android is ghost has much more sleek uh, cybernetics and stuff like that and is far more wireless it does but at the same time it doesn't ghost in the shell still has that criminal element to it well, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, yes, everything, it, it boils down to, you know, uh, hunting and, it, you know, being police. But, like, I don't know, it just has that underbelly that I feel like Android's missing teeth in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and like I said, at least for me, I'm not trying to say that I think it's a bad book. I don't in any oh, way no, regret no. buying it, anything like that. It just, as to what I expected on the surface from it being the Genesis cyberpunk title, it didn't deliver. Mm-hmm. I can see that. You can see that. 
there's our Shadow of the Beanstalk rant for the day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure if I knew more about the setting and like the history of the various card games and whatnot of, of Netrunner, then maybe I could understand and answer these concerns better, but I don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a little understanding of the card game and I know some of that. And I know that like there were editions of the card game that had very different art than that book ended up with. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I have absolutely no background with the card game. So the original card game, the Netrunner card game, was based on net running in Cyberpunk, Cyberpunk 2020. Yeah. Goes all the way back that far. And then, you know, various companies bought the rights and eventually got over to Fantasy Flight Games and they've got it. And then when Genesis came along, they're like, well, we need a Cyberpunk setting. Well, we've got Netrunner. But even the Android setting, let's use that. I'll, I'll say this even the Fantasy Flight Games card game version of that in Netrunner is is just got a little bit more grit and teeth to it. So mm -hmm. I'm not sure why I'll say that. I'm not sure why that didn't translate over to the RPG. And I, I don't know if that was a I don't know if it's a stylistic choice or if it's just something that when they were working on it, it just didn't happen to translate over very well. I'm I'm gonna say I didn't get a chance to read the novels and the novellas for yeah, I haven't, yeah. I'm gonna, so I'm wondering if there's a little more, if those grasp the cyberpunk genre a little bit better and show kind of some of that grittiness, because I could see that. Possibly. Because yeah. it's, it's, it can be tricky, as we'll tell you, it can be tricky to really get and portray that gritty cyberpunk feeling while trying to establish the world and mm -hmm. trying to be kind of encyclopedic about it. And one yeah. of the things that can definitely help that, as we've talked about, is the art. I'll say this from what I've seen of, of your world is it definitely has, it's, it's got it. It's there. And you're right. The art does play a massive part in that. So yeah, I'm very excited to see very, very excited to see um, Anarchy and Dragon City when it actually finally, it comes out as a full book. Can't wait. Um, I can't either. <laughs> <laughs> when we finished the playtest, you told me the best thing that a writer wants to hear is, as soon as this book comes out, I am buying it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's it, you've already sold you. You've already when sold it to me. Street date. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm 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 on board. Yeah, I'm picking it up. And and I think you know grit is also a thing. I think that to a certain point is tricky to do in Genesis because. It's not that tricky. It's a five point talent, you know. You ranked yeah, it by. I mean, it gets more expensive the more yeah. you get. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I had to Genesis humor. It's in my contract. <laughs> no, but because of the nature and the design of the dice system, grit in the kind of a setting context, you go well. You turn the thread up, but the problem with just turning the thread up is that now you're not getting the advantage to do the cool things that you want to do, mm. and you know, when we talked with, with Jay about kind of the core of the narrative system design, what would he say the, the, if you want to call it the, the mean role for a balanced pool is failure with advantage. Right. It's either going to be fail with advantage or success with threat is the, is the general. Gist. Which is what I thought it skewed towards. I thought the, 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 the dice, the general dice pool pound for pound, it skews towards success with threat. No. He said your mean role is failure with advantage, mm. which is accomplished because failure is the absence of success, not the presence of failure. Mm. Mm. So in other words, if you have a role that everything can't, you know, it, because of the way oh, it cancels out, of course, because right. everything cancels out. You're right. Right. You're right. So you don't have to have failure to fail. 
Mm. You have to have right. success to succeed. Yeah, the onus is on the dice to succeed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and I love the Genesis engine and the dice system and everything. It's just I think that is is one thing that is difficult to do with it just by its nature, but that's okay because we got a whole lot of other game systems if you really want to play something super gritty and whatever. Although I've heard good things about the latest thing that came out from Scarpy and Zumwalt. So I haven't got a chance to look at that yet. The uh, what is it? Hell is full. Oh, the zombie setting. Yeah. Yeah. So or I don't the know. zombie expansion of uh, something strange. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I would argue that if you are looking to the dice to give you grit, you are looking in the wrong place. Fair. The the grit is part of the tone of the setting. The grit is what you see when you are looking around. The grit is what happens to you afterwards, like your ability to get the various medical treatment that you need after you got into a bad fight. The grit might be uh, using, as opposed to the normal critical tables, you use the expanded critical tables that, I'm forgetting his name right now, GM Narco. Uh, came up with, which was very much cribbed from Rollmaster. Don't think I didn't notice. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, some of them are damn close, sir. (laughs) But I appreciate you. And therefore, okay, you got hit with this weapon. Criticism that was a praise. Indeed. (laughs) So you got hit with a truncheon or a club. Therefore, you're on the bludgeoning critical table and therefore you have this very detailed critical table of all sorts of blunt force trauma that happens to you oh you got stabbed with a knife instead okay we go to the piercing critical table and therefore these various things like your eye gets gouged out uh horrible things can happen to you um that is where you get more grit and detail that you're looking for as far as the the setting is where you find the grit Mm -hmm. because it's all the garbage is all piled up because the sanitation crew went on strike or they didn't go on strike, you didn't pay your bill, so you and your entire neighborhood is going to suffer for it. It's how the megacorps are keeping you down, man, is how you find the grit and the, the because we're going to use the, we're going to milk this dime word until it's used up, the gravitas of the situation. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've got a good amount of stuff there with all that, so uh... <laughs> been a fun are, discussion. We are good for nothing if not loquaciousness. <laughs> Hey, look, I mean, you know, it's it's all good fun. It's good gaming conversation. But anyway, I yeah. think it's that time, Steve. Game of the week. Woohoo! Game of the week. Game of the week. Game of the week. All right. So, Brett, I don't know if you remember this. I did uh, kind of brief you guys very quickly over Messenger this morning about this. Would uh, I can go first? You want to go first? I can go first. I got one. We were talking about Max all episode, right? Pretty much. Sure. Sure. And there's a game that I'm absolutely in love with. It's a Japanese game. It is called Metal Wolf Chaos. You guys familiar with Metal Wolf Chaos? I'm not. From the name alone, I want to be. Okay. Metal Wolf Chaos. The basic premise of it is that the president of the United States is a mech pilot. And it is his job to protect the world from shenanigans. And shenanigans ensue in Metal Wolf Chaos. Wait, was this a video game? Yes, it is. Yes. Okay. It is a video game. Very elaborate cutscenes. If you ever want to check it out and just watch the cutscenes, you can get a lot out of that. But there is a there's a tabletop game called Full Metal President White House Mecha Chaos. It is four dollars on <laughs> Drive Through RPG. <laughs> <laughs> 
I must find this. Sweet mother of God. I I have no words. I don't I don't need to have words. This speaks nope. for itself. It does. It does exactly. It's it's what's written on the tin. Yeah. Vice President Nathan Wolf has launched a coup, bringing together traitors, soldiers, corporations, and individuals, as well as hired mercenaries to take control of the great nation. Now in America, freedom is dead. Television is nothing but a pro-wolf propaganda. Armed soldiers walk the streets. Let me cut to the end bit here. Full Metal President is an RPG fast and furious mechan- action anime or action RPG. Roll some dice. Narrate some explosions and restore freedom to America. <laughs> and and the last thing, okay, and Full Metal President versus Zombie Cyborg Theodore Roosevelt. Yes, yeah, that's a that's a thing. That's a thing in the game. You'll that's need pencils, annoying. paper, and some six sided die. Rock and patriotic music is recommended but not required. <laughs> this is four dollars, um, and I I am glad that I found a thing that the Mecha guys hadn't seen. <laughs> that wow. is amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yep. You know, that that's that's worth the four dollars just to read it. I, it came out in twenty fifteen. Yeah, it did. It came out a long time ago. And uh well yeah, something to check out. That is full metal president, White House Mecha Chaos. Whew. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to follow that one up? <laughs> I don't know if I can. <laughs> <laughs> That's the show, folks. We're out. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that, oh, gosh. That looks so much fun. That really does. Oh, my gosh. I, can't um, even... <laughs> I can do a short and sweet one. <laughs> okay. So uh, one of your previous guests, uh, Optimistic Chad, uh, and his company, Frag and Unicorn Games, is about to start up a Kickstarter for misspent youth, fall in oh. love, not in line. And they're trying to get up to uh, 200 followers before they launch, but it sounds like they've set their launch date for April 19th. Uh, and they're putting together a little like uh, event to do so. They've been playing this game for a while. So there's actually a YouTube series you can find to watch them play it and get a feel for it before you uh, start back in the Kickstarter. Their tagline is Teenage Rebellion in a Fragged Up Future. Play the only kids that can stop the adult holes from ruining what's left of the world. From what I have seen of this, this is a punk as f- game. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, this, um, I actually know a little background on this. Oh, good. This, they are coming out with an updated and expanded version of this. Mm-hmm. This actually came out in like 2018, was written by a guy named Robert Bull, and he has since stepped away from the RPG industry. Right. But he gave the rights to the game to Opti and Fragging Unicorns. And so now they're, they're relaunching it. So, uh, yeah, it, it is. I remember uh, hearing a review of this back before all that happened. And uh, yeah, it's a very, very punk, you know, clockwork orange hackers <laughs> meets Mad Max and Avatar. Right. <laughs> yeah. I remember hearing a review of this a while back on another podcast. And, uh, Definitely very interested in that. And I uh, was actually talking with Opti a little bit this morning. So uh, mm. don't know that anything's happening yet around maybe him coming to talk to us about it, but it might. <laughs> All I know is that 
I've been a fan of Opti for a while. He's kind of the reason that Kimber and I came up with the idea for Anarchy and Dragon City. And when he started up Fragging Unicorns and they put out uh, Gangs of the Undercity, I was all there for, to support him as much as I could. But at the same time, Gangs of the Undercity as a skirmish game is not my bag. I'm just not that much into having minis and stuff like that. So yeah, now that he's doing an RPG game, I am all for it. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I, I had actually thought about using that one, but I, I was not going to. So <laughs> we still have only one theft in the, all the history of Game of the Week. So uh, would you like me to go next, Phil, or do you have something? Uh, I mean, it's it's your show, so I can take the next one. Similar to in the, in the vein of Brett, because mostly like for the past, God, several months, I haven't been able to get any gaming in. Um, just life is busy. I was home shopping, and then all of a sudden I found a home, and now I'm in moving mode. So haven't had a chance to also i've got a couple assignments i'm working on so i haven't had a chance to play but one thing that i am definitely keeping my eye on let's say you know you being a we'll call it not fan but familiar with palladium and their various exploits especially when it comes to mecha uh you may remember the robotech tactical game that palladium attempted to put out no i don't i was primarily oh, into oh, rifts oh. but i had a roommate in college that had some of the robotech and macros books if you want to see exactly how much a company can train wreck a multi-million dollar kickstarter go look up the history of robotech tactics okay oh, man why you got to bring this back up it's hey. <laughs> <laughs> one of the first kickstarters i backed oh, oh. <laughs> Yeah, mm. I, I, and I'm going to say I lucked out because at the time, my living situation, I was very much in the having zero spending cash, play money, call it what you want. Um, I could not afford to back the Kickstarter, especially not at the level that I wanted to back it. And I'm really glad I didn't <laughs> because, yeah, I would have been one of those guys who wear the f***s wave too. Sorry about the bomb, but uh, <laughs> that, that that was pretty much the uh, the the mantra of most of the folks. Like, where the hell is Wave Two? Where the hell is the rest of Wave One? So I, I segue that way to talk about this. For the past year or two, this company called Kids Logic has had the license for Robotech, and they've been putting out all these twenty-eight millimeter, actually not one twenty-eight millimeter. It's like one two eighty-fifth scale Macross minis. And they're gorgeous. I've, I've been able to see a couple of them in person, and they are just beautiful. If I had the time to devote to miniatures again, I would have gone all in on this, and I would have already owned hundreds of dollars worth of these things. And they would be sitting on top of the pile of the thousands of dollars of unpainted minis that I have over there in the corner. Oh, but wow. they yeah, are, are gorgeous. Right? And what was that company I, name again? Kids Logic, Robotech Macross. I have a couple of them that are still at my parents' house, just haven't been moved over to my house yet. Aren't they pretty? Oh, so, so nice. pretty. There you go, Steve. They're so nice to paint, too. So they've always hinted that these things were going to be part of some miniatures war game. The Kickstarter for that war game launches April 12th. I look at it, and it's very similar to X-Wing, as in it has like a starting point and an ending point. You use templates to see where your stuff goes. Movement happens simultaneously. And like it looks like the top tier will come with the Zentradi AA, obviously not in the same scale, Zentradi flagship, and the SDF one. And the SDF one will have two modes: carrier mode and robot mode. Yes, obviously not in the 
Obviously not, considering that the Zentradi <laughs> flagship was five miles long. Not in the same scale. <laughs> um, this game is. I, wow. I'm looking at what's coming with. The, they they have that one final shot because they've got the video up on their site. Kid Logic. I'm looking at that final shot. It's like got to be like a hundred minis and each of the two battleships. And I'm just sitting there going, that is not going to be an inexpensive package right there. <laughs> Considering each one of those minis is generally retailing individually for like 12 bucks. Yep. Those look impressive though. They do. Welcome to the wonderful world of 3D printing and computer rendering and computer modeling. This is why I own a resin printer. God save me and my budget if I were to ever get these as still files. <laughs> it's a whole new world, folks, and it's pretty. So that is my <laughs> game of the week. That is the thing that came up on my radar this week that I'm like, I have to think about that. That is, Wow. <laughs> Am I willing to risk a a potential Robotech Tactics situation this time around? But the advantage this time around is they have product out now, and I've seen it, and it at the very least it looks gorgeous. Yeah, I have been trying to avoid falling down a miniature's hole for a long time now. <laughs> yeah, You're I, not helping this situation. I mean, I, of course not, because I like I look over there and I see like, well, there's my clan, my Mech Warrior Kickstarter from the clan invasion boxes that I backed, and I'm like sitting there going, these mechs are so pretty, they're so gorgeous. I have one right here. It's a wolfhound. It is fantastic. It is gorgeous. It is so pretty. I will never have time to paint you, will I? <laughs> <sighs> and here I am sitting about going, well, another hundred mecha. <laughs> But then I have to sit and think about it going, oh, no, then I could run a Macross campaign with Mechasis. Mm. See, it's a business expense. It's research. <laughs> <laughs> Write it you off on your taxes. genius! <laughs> you freaking genius! Yes! <laughs> business expense! <laughs> you, sir. You. <laughs> I this, brought, this brought to you by... Tax season crunch time. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you're done, I have I have one to go to here. I am done. I am done. Okay. Unfortunately, I can't find a whole lot of information about this because the listing on drive through is extremely vague, mm. but evocative in, in its own way. And the publisher's website doesn't actually have anything about it. But uh, this that's, is a, a game sad. from Fat Goblin Games, and uh, I believe Rick Hershey runs that. It's a game called Happiness is a Warm Gun. It says you play emotionally unstable, balls-to-the-wall, chaos-inducing, bloodlusting, adrenaline-junkie, mercenaries for hire, fondly called Maniacs. With your loose understanding of morals, your murder-inducing antics, and special set of skills, you spend your days getting hired by bad people to kill worse people. This looks like John Wick, the role-playing game. <laughs> And it's all of for P the PDF three ninety five. Wow! Uh, so special note. Uh, apparently, this title has adult content. Yes. And if you are not logged into your properly set account, it will not show up. <laughs> You've <laughs> run into the thing. We, that's a new drive-through RPG feature because we didn't know that existed up until a certain point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we're like going, I know this game was on here. I found it, where, you know, a week ago. ago. And then I, I logged into my drive-thru account and was like, oh, I can view this. 
Yes. Mm -hmm. But yeah, now this is a very violent over the top game, which has, well, some material and content that might be sensitive for some people. So it's not a game for everybody, but it looks like it could be entertaining is, you know, a one shot here and there. Sure. (laughs) Oh, there you go. You know, the first page, the first chapter title is what the F is going on. (laughs) <laughs> it's like they give you the they give you the 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 opening bit they give you a disclaimer and they give it right at the beginning what the f is going on <laughs> yep 3d6 dice system looks like it's it's really intended for not so serious for those moments where you want to be a murder hobo and make it appropriate to the story mm-hmm. mm. <laughs> so yeah it, it it just looks entertaining and low investment <laughs> which is always a good thing Right. Uh, I mean, I'm now curious enough to add it to my wish list and find out later if it comes anywhere close to Human Occupied Landfill from back in the 90s by Black Dog Games. I know someone who has a copy of at least part of that. At least part of that? They ripped it up. (laughs) No, like there were like two or three volumes of it. There's somebody on our Discord. You had to have a splat book just to make characters in that. Hmm. Yeah, that's possible. I I ended up falling down a a rabbit hole, if you want to. Yeah, you asked me about it, and then somehow <laughs> Slappy got involved in the conversation. And... Yeah. <laughs> well, who yeah. invited Slappy? I, oh, well... I've known he's the one who got me into riffs in the first place. <laughs> Him and my roommate in college, he lived down the hall. So, yeah, like I said, I ended up falling down a rabbit hole and found out that that is it's sort of a game, maybe, possibly. <laughs> they they <laughs> had dice. They had dice. No, they didn't have dice mechanics. They had dice guidelines. They they, they had dice. Yes. Somewhere in another yeah. room. <laughs> <laughs> and they were too lazy to go get them. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember the, the, the big thing I remember was a classic dice example sort of thing uh, of how penalties happen. And apparently the GM called for a roll to tie the guy's shoelaces. Mm-hmm. And he go and do a roll at minus six. And the the player goes minus six. That's unfair. Okay, minus twelve. <laughs> so of course he rolls badly, gets some horrible negative number, and the GM narrates. Okay, so the guy bends over to tie his shoes, and his head explodes. It's just one of those things. It happens all the time. <laughs> this is the tone of Human Occupied Landfill, better known as Hole, put out by the White Wolf guys when they had had a few. <laughs> <laughs> had a few. Right. I didn't say of what. well all right so what studio404.com or Uh, studio404games.com i was on the site the other day i just have it bookmarked yeah so i take it that's where you guys can be found uh any individual twitters or anything you want to push or publish or uh yep we're also on uh twitter as studio404games facebook as well both of those places are very popular for us to post updates and teasers of uh artwork specifically to uh get interest going and to explain more of our setting away if you're interested in to hear more about anarchy and dragon city we have a good amount of fiction up on the up on our website in the blogs downstairs at studio 404 uh, where you can read some in character stories and fiction to get more exposure to the world very cool and with all that being said, we want to thank everyone for listening. As always, links to everything are in the show notes. Well, not to everything, but links to games mentioned, places to go, all that are in the show notes. You can find us anywhere podcasts are found in Discord, Facebook, Twitter, 
trust me, I'm working on more TikToks. I know I've said that, but I am. <laughs> but you did find your chickens. I did find my chickens. That's part of the other TikTok I've been working on. But no, uh, um, <laughs> they got to find a home. Uh, anyways, Patreon, all that fun stuff. Like I said, everything's in the show notes. Check us out. As always, we want to remind you to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at meandsteverpgpodcast. On Discord at meandsteverpgs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. Three years ago. Ah, Says says the young Steve. Look, (laughs) I was obsessed with Matt Cross. Well, you know, he was in on our playtest session that we had with Brett a couple weeks ago, and he's he's delightfully, he's a delightful agent of chaos, is the way I would describe him generally as a player. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) Like, he's one of those people where he's not maliciously chaotic. He just will somehow innocently do something that you're like, I would never like the concept of that happening would have never come across any of my thought patterns whatsoever. <laughs> I don't know where, any players like that. <laughs> where did we take the left? What do you mean? What left? <laughs> well, this will, this will actually go air. Where did you take the left? Well, on? you see, you invited them into the game. Yeah. <laughs> Again, so what it left? all comes back to your fault. <laughs> <laughs>